This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, episode number two with Mr. Jonathan Twomley. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great as always. Awesome, man. Well, well, I got to tell you, episode one kind of left me wanting. Usually your, our conversations leave me, leave me feeling pretty good, <laughs> but it probably should, right? We are, we're in the muck and we're going to be in it yeah. for a while. But now we're going to go into episode number two and talk about something, Rent Tracker, what's going on in multifamily. I think in short, some cities or areas are winning and some are losing, but you're the expert in multifamily. What do you see? Well, so let's let's talk about first uh, the NH, N, N, NMHC rent tracker. Okay, and this is this is the National Multifamily Housing Council. It's an industry group uh, that tracks these sorts of things. It tracks institutional um, landlords uh, using the uh, the data services that lot that most people use so they're literally uh, getting all this aggregated data from millions of apartments I think it's about 11 million apartments that they have in their in this database across the country and they've been tracking rent collections ever since the the pandemic started okay. and rent collections have really held up surprisingly well they've been off I'd say month to month, you know, they compare them year to year and, and previous month, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and year on year, they've been down a little bit, but it's really been on the order of about 2%. Yep. So That's what obviously it's hits your bottom line, but it's not, not crushing you, right? You're not, you're yeah. not, and this is of course average. So there are some people doing worse, some people doing better, but across the board, we've been talking about 2% rent increases and uh, sorry, rent uh, 2% declines. Rent collections. In- yeah. The caveat being, as they say in every, you know, every on the tracker every month, it, it says this, these are primarily A and B apartments yep. and recognize that C apartments are much more vulnerable and they don't track them, right? Yep. Because uh, they, this is mostly like pretty expensive rent collection software that, that mm-hmm. they're gathering this data from and mom and pops and small, you know, small owners and stuff don't tend to have these systems in place because this this it's just not cost effective to use this software. So they don't track the, that data. And anecdotally they know that there are some some issues happening. And, mm-hmm. and you know we we know about say collections in Manhattan that they're way down for all apartments. So uh, you know we, we know that that some people are really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. But so what we're what we've seen though is basically across the board kind of two percent uh, Two percent lag compared to last year. So again, not uh, not terrible, mm-hmm. but this is the first month where we've seen a really big change uh, year over year. And up until now, you know, the reason for that two percent, uh, that only two percent decline in, in Class A and Class B rents, has really been because the well, first of all, it's the K-shaped recovery, right? The class the Class A and most yep. of the B renters are, are still working they are disproportionately able to work from home yep and they have continued so they just continued working just working from home 
So they're paying their rent. So they also have more cushion. Uh, but there's also been all of the unemployment money that has been available, mm -hmm. um, but has, you know, has ru started running out, ran out. The, the big supplemental bonus ran out, you know, a couple months ago. But people banked money. People haven't been going out. They've saved money. But I think this month may be the month where we're starting to see the effect of that money running out, of mm -hmm. people running out of their unemployment benefits. Um, so we're down this month so far. And this is tracked compared. So this is only uh, talking about the first six days of the month, right? But it's comparing it to the first six days of last year, this month, mm -hmm. and last month. So apples to apples. And yep. Apples to apples. So as compared to last month, collections are down 5% exactly. Uh, so down to only 75% of the rent has been collected as compared to 80% last month. But the really striking thing is last year at this time, 83% of the rent was collected and only 75 has been collected now. So down eight points. Now, the one caveat here is that the first six days did fall with a weekend in the middle. So sometimes that can have an effect on collections. Maybe it takes people another day or two to like find a time when the mm -hmm. uh, the rental office is open. But a lot of, I have to say a lot of these, especially these A-class buildings uh, and, you know, some of the B-class buildings, they're taking a lot of ACH payments, you know, they're, they're taking, you know, automatic debit from people's accounts, stuff like that, where people don't have to actually walk in with a check. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Um, yeah. I got to tell you, I think it's a, um, how do I want to say this and not sound like an asshole? I think it's a convenient excuse for people that don't want to believe what's really happening. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it does affect things. I'll be honest with you. It does affect the collections a little bit, especially for the short six-day period. Sample size, the, yeah. When we get the 10-day period, that's when we'll, when we'll really know because you know a weekend always falls within the first 10 days. Of course. And, yep. and, uh, and 10 days, the reason 10 days is critical is because it's after 10 days that late fees start applying in most cases, right? Yep. So, uh, so people really are incentivized to get their rents in. And usually, you know, by 10 days, you've got 80 to 85% of your rent collected in the first 10 days. For sure. And then you're chasing people the last, for the, for the last 15%. Um, so in a couple of days, we'll get, we'll get, we'll really see where this is going. But I think uh, that it's, it's not, it's not good, right? I mean, down 5% versus last month down, uh, 8% versus the year before, uh, not good. The other thing that's also, I think, interesting in this data, some people were saying, well, hey, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's holiday time. People are buying presents and not paying their rent. Uh, <laughs> the problem with that argument is that actually, if you look at the trend last year, more people paid their rent within the first six days uh, in December than in November and more in November than in wow. October, right? So and you saw the same trend here. Rent collections got better October over September, November over October. And the trend, if it were consistent with last year, would have continued upward, but we're down. So uh, yeah, I've talked, I've talked to just in the last, I don't know, let's call it 36 hours, maybe 48 hours. I've talked to landlords that own probably 2,500 units total. And everybody is saying that de December is starting slower. Right. It, it, most yeah. of them are saying, you know, this this could have been the month that we've been worried about all year yeah. um, because people are just making a choice and they don't see 
they don't see a bright future. Back to our earlier conversation, the one thing that punched me in the nose in that last conversation was people are turning to shoplifting to feed themselves. Yeah. Uh, That's not an environment where you're openly going to pay your your rent, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to delay. And I think that's happening, frankly, more than it should. And, and listen, I mean, you may be right. It may be the case that people are choosing to buy Christmas presents rather than pay their rent. But the, the, the fact is last year, they didn't have to make that choice, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not uh, it, at least looking at the data from last year, that, that's not the case, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, this, is not, this is a little bit troubling. I mean, I hope this improves uh, but in the 10-day number. And we yeah. will obviously talk about that next week when we see the 10-day number. But I look forward to it. This is not, um, this, is the tre- this trend is not encouraging all, all the things that we've been talking about for a while, right. About yeah. the end of the stimulus, the, the bonus, you know, uh, extra unemployment relief checks, right. The fact that people have been out of work for a long time and they may be off unemployment altogether now, depending on what state they're in all these things that we we've been waiting for like, well, where is all this money coming from that people are still paying their rents with? And we said, okay, well, they bank some of that money because they were, the, the benefits were so generous or they've been saving money because nobody's going out to eat right now. They're not going to the movies. They're not coming to the theater. They're not going to sports games. They're just mm-hmm. sitting at home watching Netflix. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they saved some money. Well, so that, that kind of explains maybe how we got this far, but if this number holds up, I think what it means is uh, that pain is starting to show. And, 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 Back to your earlier point about, hey, we need a big unemployment number to get Congress off its butt. The, you know, the, the apartments industry has been consistently lobbying Congress to get another stimulus bill through. They haven't really had a strong argument thus far because rent collections have been strong. Mm-hmm. However, if we see the rent collections really take a big hit, then I think that's just going to give more you know, power and more force to their argument Mm-hmm. When they're on Capitol Hill lobbying, saying, "Hey, look, you know, yeah. the whole rental industry could be the next domino to fall." Yeah, and, and, and you don't want that one to fall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, there's there's too much riding on it. Uh, yeah. You know, so well let's 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 turn this around a little bit and try to because I think one of the things that we're seeing is while the overarching story is negative, no question. I think we're also seeing some cities just crush it, given uh, migration, given maybe yeah. lack of supply. Why don't we highlight some of the winners? Because there are some cities that are just uh, performing amazingly well, right? Yeah. So we've got uh, obviously your big, your gateway cities. You know, often you know, situations change and your your heroes turn into goats overnight, right? Because what made you strong in one situation makes you weak in another. So. New York, San Francisco, all those places, rents were super high because there was more demand than there was supply, right? And mm-hmm. now we've got people going the other direction, although we'll talk a little bit more in detail about Manhattan in a minute. Mm-hmm. But what's been happening, I think everybody whose head is not under a rock uh, knows that there have been some, uh, some population outflows from the big cities. Some of them, some of this is permanent, some of it's not. Right? I, think, I think people have been a, a little bit especially there's you know there's a group of like city haters out there mm-hmm. right who just just rub their hands in glee every time like any there's any bad news about new york or san yeah. francisco or whatever 
a lot of those folks, you know, are convinced that, you know, in, in two years time, nobody will live in either city and it'll, it'll be, you know, like, uh, yeah, wasteland escape, yeah. escape from New York, like that movie in the eighties. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, not going to happen, but th there's definitely some pain out there, but some of, some of this outward migration is just temporary. It's people moving back in with their parents, moving out to the suburbs for a while, renting houses, you know, short-term rentals, just cause they got to get out of Dodge. They've just gone somewhere, the countryside or whatever. Uh, but they're they're just writing it out up there. They're not leaving, right? And what, nevertheless, or maybe because of that, you know, we're seeing some definite impacts on on rents uh, and uh, and vacancy rates. So obviously, the big the big cities have got uh, you know spiking vacancies and declining rents. But even within a place like New York, it's uneven. Really, Manhattan is taking the biggest hit, whereas you know, Brooklyn, the outer boroughs, mm -hmm. not as bad a hit, right? And I'm, I'm seeing in terms of like real estate sales continuing to be strong in Brooklyn as people mm -hmm. are leaving Manhattan. So, uh, so that, that's been good. But when you want to talk about like the places where people are going, I mean, Atlanta is like the clear winner in what's happening right now. Atlanta is just um, receiving a lot of inflow of population this is just the acceleration of that long-term trend of people moving to warmer weather areas. Yep. Um, I think Atlanta also benefits from the fact that it's on the East Coast. It's it's kind of like, I guess that in the, the Carolinas to a lesser extent, but the, the metros in Carolina, those Carolinas are, well, not Charlotte, but like South Carolina is pretty small. Charleston's not a big city. Mm. Uh, Charlotte's getting some inbound, but Atlanta is just really, really benefiting from this. Mm. Uh, and, and as I said, it benefits from being on the East Coast, so people are staying in the same time zone if they're moving from the Northeast, hmm. they're not going all the way to Texas. But Atlanta is doing really, really well. It's had, uh, its unemployment rate has gone down uh, or gone up only about four and a half percent. So not good, but still uh, it's it's at the, it's kind of on the leaderboard in, in terms of least amount of pain. Mm -hmm. And you've got uh, vacancy rates and collections and, and actually even rent, rent increases there because what's happening is uh, people are moving to say from the Northeast or wherever they're moving from to Atlanta. They may have been thinking about this for a long time but this COVID is what's kind of kicked them in the butt to do it. When they're moving down there, you know, typically what happens is people rent. They don't buy Not as right soon away. as they get to a new yeah. place because they, they wanna learn, learn the new area, learn what areas they like. You know, plus it takes time to look for a house Plus, you can't buy a house anywhere right now, right? Because inventory is so low and everybody wants to buy a house. So the spike in real estate prices in Atlanta is actually driving even more people back into apartments, which is causing rents to rise in Atlanta. This so is Atlanta exactly what I've been calling for the last 30 days, seeing what's going on in my market. As prices are going up to a point where the affordability is really going to be impacted. And then what happens next? Well, if you can't buy, you rent. Because- we right. a house is space is good right that's what yeah. this crisis has taught us and yeah rent increases my houses are even in california my my houses i've raised again i only raise them when they go vacant i've had a couple go vacant they've, they've gone up 10 percent. and i could do that in california even with rent control on a house you can't do it on units but you can do it on a house and, and you can do it on turnover yeah and so speaking of california good article came out 
uh, on Zumper, oh, uh, about yeah Zumper National Rent Report for December 2020, and what Zumper is showing. <laughs> I is love that, that name. <laughs> yeah, me too. Is uh, it, it's got a great you know schematic with you know, uh, you know circles representing the 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 degree of the change, right? But uh, we've got um, you know the 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 losers, as you would expect, are you know San Francisco, the tw down twenty percent mm. uh, for two bedrooms year over year, twenty two almost twenty three percent for one bedrooms wow. year over year. Price is still astronomical, but I mean, sheesh, that's nobody under nobody underwrites twenty percent rent declines in their nobody. underwriting. Nobody, nobody when they buy it, right? New York down eighteen percent. You know, Boston twelve, San Jose. Los Angeles, you know, sort of all, everybody you'd expect yep. uh, is down, but there's actually only, now this is really surprising. There, there really aren't uh, that many places that have had rent declines, right? If we're looking through this, um, you know, this, uh, this list of, of, uh, of cities, right? So um, you've got places uh, that are benefiting that are surprising. So like Newark, New Jersey, right? Who would have thought rents are up in Newark, New Jersey, uh, year over year for one bedroom by 20%. Say that again, Newark is up 20%? 21% in Newark year over year. Wow, right? I've been to New York, Newark once, not a, not a yeah. yeah, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, me either. And also, I mean, it's urban. So um, it's not like you're getting a tremendous amount. It's not like moving to a suburb where you're getting yeah. a lot more space. Mm -hmm. Uh, hmm. Providence, Rhode Island. Rhode Island has been in trouble for a while. Providence, Rhode Island rents are up 11% year over year. Wow. Right? Um, we've got Sacramento. This, this should speak to you. Sacramento rents uh, for two bedroom apartments up 24%. <laughs> Sacramento, California is up 24%. Yep. 24%. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Nashville's here. Look, Nashville has been a darling of the multifamily industry for a long time. One bedroom is down 11%, two bedrooms down 3%. That's wow. not a city that people have been talking about as having problems. Nashville right? down 11. That surprises yeah. me, right? I think that may be a supply issue as well. I think there's probably a lot of supply having come on. Ah. So we're probably seeing some of that. Um, okay. You know, Charlotte is flat year over year. Uh, for one bedrooms and but it's up for two bedrooms, so maybe that reflects some people moving down who have families. Yeah, maybe here's one. I love to pick on Cleveland, but Cleveland is up twenty four percent. Oh, shout maybe. out Cleveland, twenty four percent. Wow. So it is just Fred. Oh, here's Fresno for you. There you go. What, what's your guess as to rent? To, I'm gonna see how well you know your market. Okay, for what, what is, uh, one or two? For for well, okay, give me the. For a one bedroom year over year, what is the- And it's an apartment, rate? just so we're clear. Yeah. Uh, one bedroom, uh, Fresno, 18%. And what about uh, two bedroom? 19 and a half. Well, you almost nailed the first one. It's 18.9% okay. for a one bedroom, 15.3 for two. Ah, bedroom. the other way, okay. Yeah. All right. So- uh, And so that's a supply for that. In Fresno, that would be a supply problem. We have a lot more twos than ones. Yeah. Does that and make sense? Usually that's the case. Right? Okay. So um, two bedrooms is kind of like the, the standard 
format. Right? And, and, so, and back back to this, it just just to tie this all together, right? We're talking multifamily here, but I saw a single family number I want to throw out you today, just to tie this yeah. all together. Why being a landlord is a good thing. Single family homes uh, in the last year have added a trillion dollars in equity. Wow. Yeah, seventeen percent by home or seventeen grand per home. But let let us just kind of warn people about this though, <laughs> yes. because there is the tendency that people like if they'll see it's up 18% this year, that means it's going to be up 18% next year. And then, and then the next logical step is then I'm willing to pay more because I know it's going to go up and that may not happen. And in fact, if we get a vaccine uh, as, as promised, I think this is going to slow down. It's not going to stop. I think the trend like we've talked about before, I think there are a lot of people who have just mentally already made the decision that they want to buy a house mm -hmm. and probably, you know, not being able to get one, you know, like there's that psychological thing that happens. Like they're trying to buy a house. Yep. They keep on missing. They keep on missing. It just makes them want it more. Yeah. Right. And so there, there is going to be that, like you know, the, that mouse going through the snake. Well, right, I, of, of I'll tell you what I expect. Who, I'll tell you what I expect in 2021 because prices are going to be dampened. And people don't see it coming, or if they do see it coming, they don't see it for the right reason. I've come now to realize that 2020 is going to go down as the lack of supply year, right? Yeah. Uh, and we've also goosed demand, which is a horrible combination for prices, hence right. values rise. Right. 2021 is going to be the year of supply because demand can't, the, can't, will not get higher than it is today. But supply is going to be coming on. Vaccines are going to make the move up buyers who didn't sell this year, sell next year. They're going to be greedy. They're going to see all this equity. They're going to want a newer home. They're tired of painting the bedrooms. We're going to see a supply wave come April, May, June that we've never seen before, my opinion. Well, but let me ask you this though. Sure. Like, it is very difficult to build. And, oh, and especially right, in Cali. I mean, well, especially in California or, or, or New York. And you know, part of the reason is, Hey, look, there's not a whole lot of land left to build on, right? Like you can't, you know, especially in the New York area, like there's nowhere to go. This has been filled up. So, and the thing is you could go up, but nobody wants you to. Like we're having a big fight in my neighborhood because somebody wants to build a building across the street from us. And everybody is up in arms. And I'm like, and this is the thing that really bugs me. They're, they're complaining like, we don't want luxury housing built in our neighborhood. We want to keep it middle-class and blah, blah. And I'm like, don't you understand that the reason why builders only build luxury housing is because people like you want to prevent them from building anything so that by the time they can build something it it can only be luxury housing because it's the only thing they can afford to build it's the only yep. thing they can make money on because you make it so tough for them to build if you want housing in new york city to be cheaper let people build more right make it cheaper for them to build it but you got but you got this problem anywhere this isn't like this is doesn't matter blue city red city whatever Nobody wants anything built anywhere near there, yeah. right? And it makes it very difficult. So, uh, you know, in the, in the New York metropolitan area, which is just basically filled up, there's no like farmland. There hasn't been new farmland. <laughs> yeah, there's not a magic I, couple of acres somewhere just sitting there. <laughs> look, I mean, even when I was a kid in the, in the 70s and 80s, there was still, there were still some active farms around, oh. believe it or not. But those are all gone. All those farmers have moved on, died, retired, whatever. Their kids... You know, made a mint selling the land, yeah. and nobody. So those places are all gone, right? Anywhere that's within a reasonable distance of New York City, like commutable distance, maybe some parts of New Jersey, but like all those places in New Jersey too. Yeah, they've all got restrictive zoning. 
Nobody wants any multifamily built near them. Yeah. It's all like, you know, one acre lots and up, right? You can't, you know, so you've got houses on five acre lots, but you can't build anymore because you're not allowed to, mm. right? So it's very, very difficult to build anything anywhere. Yeah. So, but there are places like in the South where there's less restrictions uh, and more farmland, frankly, uh, available to build on um, the where you can still build. But I mean, I, there's still resistance to it though. Like you got to get out yeah. further, for, you got to get sort of out far enough to where the people who already live there can't exert pressure on like, can't, you know, it's like, oh, we're here, but we want to keep everybody else out. Like, yeah. You got to get far enough out where it's a bunch of farmers who are like, yeah, I want to sell my land. You know, like I, I want to retire. Yeah, I'm so, done. I'm done playing with dirt. Yep. Yeah. And none of, the, none of the farmers are going to prevent the, their neighbor from selling right there because they want to sell too. But, you know, but as soon as, you know, you get enough of the houses all built, then all those people who move there are like, no, 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 you can't build anything near me. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's going to happen to traffic? You know, yeah. so I, I wonder, but I'm just, so this is a very, very long winded intro. What do you think, though, about that in terms of when you're saying it's going to be the year of supply? Mm-hmm. How does how does that the nimbyism and just the the infill in general, the the lack of I think there's just going to be a general movement up, and again, most of that will be existing homes. Yes, there will yeah. be some new homes, but I think what we're seeing is generational. I think baby boomers, who generally speaking are in the upgraded homes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going they they are going to be moving on with their life and maybe going to Florida or somewhere else. Cause again, I'm in California and they're like, I'm going to retire now. And that, and that usually means perhaps exit the state. Then you're going to get the, you're going to get all the people who bought their first home at a great time, like 2010, 11, 12, who are sitting on gobs of equity going, right. damn, that house double the size looks really good. And I expect interest rates to stay low next year. I think it's just going to be a perfect time of the first or the move up buyer. That's what I think is going to happen. So yeah, there'll be some new, there's not a lot of building in, in Fresno, in the central Valley. Um, it's probably 50. It might be 60% of what it was in 06, 07. Fresno was crazy building and all the builders went bust in the last crash. So everybody's more conservative where they used to break ground on a hundred unit housing development. Now it's 10, right? They're controlling right. their capital so much better. And they don't usually build until they have a contract now. Right. Well, now that's, that's different, right? They're not building a hundred homes on spec. They're nope. building one, one, selling it, recycling it into the next one or, or building two or three at a time. Yeah. Right. And I to think being- Fresno is going to be growing population. It, again, it's the cheapest big city in California, even cheaper than Sacramento. It's bigger than Sacramento, but cheaper than Sacramento. Interesting. Uh, it's a very, it's, I, I am very happy uh, that we're there and it's between LA and San Francisco. So Hence, it's a huge Amazon distribution and ultra beauty because you can get to both locations in a day. Uh, I think Fresno's got a lot going for it and um, I'm excited. Lost you completely.